Would you like your heavy networking skills to be even heavier? IT Pro TV is sponsoring today's episode, and they're offering a seven-day free trial and a 30% discount off of any of their online IT training plans. Visit itpro.tv slash packetpushers and use promo code packetpushers at checkout. Hey, would you consider an open source network operating system for your data center? Sonic, backed by sponsor Dell Technologies, is worth investigating. Automate effectively, monitor deep telemetry, and enjoy excellent support from Dell's global organization. Visit PacketPushers.net slash DellSonic to find out more. PacketPushers.net slash DellSonic. Hey, before we start the heavy networking episode today, a little bit of quick housekeeping. Number one, Packet Pushers has a Slack channel and a newsletter. Go to PacketPushers.net and you will see those right in the title bar there, PacketPushers.net slash Slack or slash newsletter and subscribe to those great resources. The Slack is a community. Over a thousand people are in there nerding out every day. Uh, another point, Day 2 Cloud Podcast starring international jet setter Ned Bellavance. If you're going to hear him on the show today, and uh, Ned is a Terraform expert, cloud guy, and so on, and, and, and hey, Day 2 Cloud is the show where you can hear Ned and me every week interviewing folks. So if you didn't know we had a cloud show here in the Packet Pushers Podcast Network, well, we do. That's Day 2 Cloud. Josh... Vandera, you're going to hear him uh, in this show as well. He's got an Ansible course on Ignition. Ignition is our membership site. 99 bucks a year gets you access to everything, including Josh's Ansible course. So if you like what Josh has to say and you want to go a little deeper on Ansible, head over to ignition.packetpushers.net and sign up. And then finally, uh, Ned, again, Ned again gets my attention. He's got a presentation he did for Packet Pushers called Cloud Networking with Terraform. That's over on our YouTube channel. You didn't know Packet Pushers had a YouTube channel? Oh, yeah. YouTube.com slash Packet Pushers Network. Uh, Ned's uh, Cloud Networking with Terraform presentation is about an hour long, and uh, it's hands-on and demo-oriented. And now for the main show today, we want to talk about Ansible and Terraform in the context of network automation. Because to me, Ansible and Terraform, from a distance anyway, they seem the same ish you give the tools some instructions and the tool makes something happen out there the infrastructure and yet it kind of seems to me like the networking community has coalesced around ansible for physical networking device automation and then terraform for the cloudy stuff maybe i'm right maybe i'm wrong we're going to talk about that in the show here but let's assume i'm right why is there this seeming divide are the two tools really that different where each is fit for one specific purpose but not the other we're going to discuss this again with uh, Ned Bellavant speaking on behalf of Terraform and Josh Vandera speaking on behalf of Ansible. I don't know why I'm setting this up like it's a conflict or a great battle, but that's, that's, that's all, kind of what it feels that's like. That's a good topic for discussion. Is there a conflict? Is that, well, and that, we, we are definitely going to figure that out. Maybe my premise is bogus and I'm making up conflict where there isn't any, Greg. I don't know. Ansible, uh, for, network devi- or Ansible for physical network devices, Terraform for the cloudy stuff. And uh, let's start at the beginning. Uh, gentlemen, we need to compare Ansible and, uh, and Terraform. Um, we, we want to understand exactly how they do and, and, and what they work, how, you know, what this word of idempotency and, uh, and fact gathering, and there's adapters and, uh, you know, and so on. Uh, how are they the same and how are they different? Uh, Josh, maybe let's start with you here. If you want to kind of give us the, the, the framework that Ansible works within and how it interacts with network devices, that seems like a good place to start. Yeah, definitely. So I think a little bit goes back in history around Ansible and how it got started. Um, 
this we're going back to the days when Chef and Puppet were just being introduced, but Ansible came along, was automating Linux devices over SSH. And so along came the question about, hey, can we automate network devices? As network engineers, we don't like running various agents on our network devices, but we all SSH into the CLI. Long live the CLI, right? <laughs> and so with a little bit of work, Ansible then was start to be adapted to be able to automate network devices. And it's been a long journey since as far as Ansible goes. And that's probably about four years ago. Yeah, I have a memory that Ansible as a as a as a company, a group of developers, didn't really want to get into the network automation space originally, but they uh they they decided and came over to the dark side as it were. Is my memory right there? That's my understanding as well. I don't have any specifics on that, but by being able to give us a framework, and Ansible really, some people like to compare it to programming languages, and it's not really a programming language. It's an automation engine or an automation framework. So you, I think you hit on it in the intro just right. You send Here's some configuration, what you want to send to the device, and you put that into uh, the domain-specific language of Ansible. And it goes ahead and deploys that out to the network devices over the SSH channel. And some it's also a nice bridge between your old CLI format and modules that support the new APIs that we are all hoping that network devices adopt coming up. So. Now you you said it you know we've you've got this bit of configuration and then it sends it out to the device but it does it in an intelligent way that is if there's a configuration that exists on that device it's going to send that network configuration in such a way that it's not going to clobber what's there it's going to well it might clobber what's there if it's not supposed to be there but the whole idea is you're going to end up with a known state uh, a known configuration on that device when ansible is done doing its work correct in a sense and there's some variations as well with the new network modules that just came out for the big three vendors they support different states where you hey i want to go ahead and deploy vlan 10 out to all the all your switches it will go and you just put in the configuration of vlan Intent, it deploys it. Otherwise, there's a new state that will actually, that's a little more declarative in nature that will say, if I only send VLAN 10, it will go ahead and clobber all the other VLANs, which, so <laughs> when you're using that state, you definitely need to be conscious about what you're doing and not just deploy out to your data center core. Okay, that. but the, the big but deal yeah. here is there is this intelligence baked into it where there is some awareness Ansible has of what is in yep. existence on the switch, and it does deploy <laughs> configurations in that context. It's not just blindly shoving commands into the device. Correct. It's going to do a show run as to get the current state of the device, and then it's going to look to see, do I actually need to push this or make sure that's item potent? So it will only push the changes that are needed. If you push VLAN 10 to the same switch 15 times over, and you didn't have it at the start, the first time it should deploy that config, the other times it should not. Hmm. Okay. So, so Ned, let's flip over to you and let's get that same kind of baseline context for Terraform, how it works and how it would interact with network devices. Sure. Yeah. So very similar to the way that Ansible works. Terraform does not have an agent. It's not running an agent on any remote devices or anything like that. So it needs a way of pushing configuration and validating whether that configuration has been applied. And it is idempotent the same way that Ansible is. So if you push a configuration and that configuration already matches what your destination has, then no changes are made. It just moves on to the next thing. 
some of the so Terraform doesn't SSH into devices. That's now not how it interacts. Its expectation is that there's going to be a plugin for that specific resource and provider type. So this is where we get sort of on the cloudier side of things. The assumption is a provider has been written for whatever that resource is. Let's say, you know, we're dealing with AWS and VPCs. So there's already a provider for AWS. And within that provider, you have a VPC defined in all the subnet objects and stuff like that. Terraform is going to take that and use the API that exists for AWS to check on the status and make changes. So it's not SSHing into anything. It's doing everything via an API. So there's that presumption that that API exists. So in the Terraform model, then the plugin is the magic. It's the middleman. It's the the proxy, the translator that is abstracting Terraform commands into whatever the device-specific well, I guess you say Terraform doesn't SSH, but I'm assuming the plugin would SSH, maybe. Potentially, yes. And there would have to be a way for it to do that, because generally Terraform just wants to make HTTP calls. So you'd need something in there that's going to make that secondary call, because that's just not how Terraform generally works. Mm-hmm. The magic provider is either written by third parties or written by the fine folks at HashiCorp. And now they've expanded it. Before, it was sort of a closed ecosystem. You could write your own and load your own providers, uh, but it was harder to get custom providers outside of their ecosystem. They've now expanded that, that the provider ecosystem is available online and you can you know pull whatever provider you need and people can write their own. I checked uh, today and there's one for Fortinet. There's one for Cisco ASAs. And mm-hmm. there's... I think there's a community one for maybe Juniper. So there's mm-hmm. definitely some providers out there for physical networking devices. It's funny. One of the things that strikes me, because I'm not a real Ansible or Terraform expert, so I'm going to come at this from the point of view of somebody who's looking back at this. When Ansible and Terraform first popped up, I remember the vendors flatly refusing to get involved and saying, we're not going to write providers for these platforms because... And what it boiled down to was, wow, 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 we want the profit. We don't want to have to put the work in. And um, that's actually what it was, you know. But they used to say, like, oh, well, we don't know know which one of these is going to be successful. We don't know uh, which, which, you know, we can't support them all. We can only support one of them. So, therefore, we were going to wait and see if anybody actually uses these. So what you're saying, I think, indirectly is that most of the vendors are now supporting tools like Ansible and Terraform substantially. Right. I I would go so far to say they had their own management suites that they really wanted you to use because those were licensed and and expensive. And Mm -hmm. Terraform and Ansible are ostensibly free. I mean, there's a paid version of them, but you can use Mm -hmm. the open source version. And uh, I, I would say that networking companies and other vendors weren't super happy about that. But now that they've seen that the DevOps engineers and network engineers and everybody had jumped on and really embraced it, they're like, well, I guess we have to now. Or mm. a commu- someone in the community has written it for them. Hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I mean, that's interesting, right, in the sense that um, there was a time just a few years ago, five or six years ago, when the vendors wanted to do their SDN platforms. They didn't want other people's SDN platforms getting into the market. And looking back, it's easy to see that tools like Ansible and Terraform have won the battle to win the hearts and minds 
of customers over what the vendors were telling them. That's not something that happens all the time. That's something that happens fairly rarely in that it's a groundswell movement, not, um, you know, because the vendors have money and influence and resources and the ability to change people, like to send salespeople out with a message. Yes. And they literally told customers, don't use Ansible, don't use Salt Stack. We've got an, you know, we've got an SDN platform, blah, blah, blah. Um, and now five years later, I think the interesting part about Ansible and Terraform is A, we've converged on these two tools. Other tools like Salt Stack and Puppet seem to have faded away to some extent. Yeah. They haven't kept the momentum going. So strategically, it's interesting to see that this is where we are in the market and that you're now at a mature point where there's really only two products to choose from and they're different products. So, you know, Mm -hmm. we'll probably touch on the difference between Terraform and Ansible at some point. But it's interesting to me that Ansible survived, beat off all the others sort of thing, and Terraform has come from and has come past Puppet and Salt Stack and other orchestra, you know, CF Engine and a bunch of others to to dominate the cloud orchestration piece. So that strategic stuff interests me a lot. But I don't know if you guys have got any thoughts. And to build on top of that, uh, within the uh, the Cisco DevNet certifications, they are specifically in their blueprints calling out Ansible and Terraform on top of their their product suite that they're have right of NSO and so to be mentioned in their in the study plans I think gives more credence to that exact thought that really makes sense in the I context do, of I NSO uh, NSO being it, it started out as a multi-vendor tool that based on modeling and so on so it fits really well uh, in this context whereas some of the other tools in Cisco's world yeah. maybe not so much but NSO yeah that's yeah. Great. yeah you're making a good point there Ethan that is um, Cisco's a big company has a lot of different vertical business units, and some of them love Ansible and some of them hate it. Hmm. So you can't, um, is is the truth, right? Let's be truth. And some of them are like, oh, really? Is that what customers want? Oh, wow. You know, um, and it does vary according to what customers want. So service provider customers are more Ansible inclined, and you might see the service provider products reflect that customer demand. Whereas if you go out into the campus stuff, Ansible's kind of spelt DNA center. Or SD campus, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and this applies to a lot of vendors and applies to different products and blah blah blah. So it is also fair to say that Ansible hasn't been a stunning success. It's been a a modest success, often limited to just the data center and nothing else. To to put a little cloudy perspective on this, one thing that I noticed is Microsoft when they developed their new certifications for like DevOps engineer. They included both Terraform and Ansible in tools that you at least need to know something about in that exam. And I thought that was telling. So in the same way that the DevNet is including Ansible, Microsoft is also including it in their exams. AWS, of course, is not because AWS doesn't include anything that's not them or often acknowledge anything that's not them. But that's, you know, (laughs) its own thing. We don't need to talk about that. Uh, I remember other companies that I remember companies that used to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bay Networks, <laughs> Cisco, early Cisco training programs were always yeah. like, yeah, there's only one type of Ethernet switch. It's the Cisco switch, you know, the Cisco cat. Right. Yeah. 
And so, yeah. Let's dive into some functionality here between Ansible and Terraform. Explain why you might choose one over the other. It sounds like we've established that you actually want to know both, just depending. So let's dig into the nuance of each tool and figure out where you'd pick one versus the other. So, uh, Josh, I want to flip this back to you. Um, we started with the premise that Ansible works well for physical networking devices, and it's got a lot of momentum there. Um, I think we, what we've talked about so far, we agree with that idea. So why? Explain that to us, Josh. What is it about Ansible that makes it work well for physical networking devices? So what makes Ansible work well with physical devices is the one, again, the legacy support, right? To be able to support your campus, your out-of-band network switches that you aren't going to lifecycle for 20 years or get down to the newest, latest, greatest ones. With that as well, Ansible is continue to evolve their modules to be able to support your campus, your data center, and get out into the cloud environments as well. Um, I think, Ned, you hit on the idea of providers. Ansible has kind of hidden that quite a bit in that they really just have a connection layer that is their provider or it's um, the connection type. And so mm. oftentimes SSH is the default, but it also does support the capability to do HTTP type operations. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what really gets Ansible working well for me is when you look at it from an enterprise co- cohesiveness as well, is that Ansible is, yep, it's great for networking, but you can also go put this into your VMware team and your uh, your cloud operations and your desktop operations. They have modules that will be able to support. And as you build your entire big picture enterprise framework, that allows the network team to be drawn in and be included in the automation, not just here's the network team and they're doing their automation with their, their tools. Josh, explain this idea of a, of a, a playbook, something I'm going to write and feed as input into Ansible so that I get a configuration on the other end. Is it like a generic thing? Like if I'm trying to configure a Juniper switch or a Cisco switch, I could use the same playbook and then, you know, a provider of some sort does translation for me, or would I be writing different playbooks for different device types? Most often you are going to be writing a playbook or a role that gets included based on the device type. So if you have your, here's your playbook that you're going to go ahead and go it, and they use the terminology playbook straight from the sports analogies of here are our plays, individual plays that are executed. Here's the playbook that encompasses all the plays. And so within there, you're going to take your, you have your playbook that has a play. You're going to say, oh, here's the, what you need to do for all your Juniper devices. And then, and it will process in order from top down in the file. So it's really going to be, okay, if I were to give this to a junior network engineer to go provision these VLANs in this campus, okay, they're going to go do it on this campus first, A, B, C, D, move over to this other campus switch. It's in that same type of hierarchy and thought process. Let's press pause on the audio podcast capture engine to talk online IT training. Online IT training from IT Pro TV, our heavy networking sponsor today. A recent MIT study found that IT jobs have grown at more than eight times the rate of other jobs over the past decade. Congratulations, IT professional. You are in the right career. So what do you say? Time to level up? IT Pro TV has you covered. From CompTIA and Cisco to EC Council and Microsoft to VMware and AWS, e- even ITIL training. Don't, don't tell Greg. 
More than 4,000 hours of on-demand training is available in the IT Pro TV library. There are engaging hosts that present the information to you in a talk show format, not just a tedious lecture. They're live every day, and the shows go studio to web in 24 hours. Courses are conveniently listed. Category, certification, job role. You can find what you're looking for with no trouble. Stream the entire IT Pro TV library on demand worldwide via Chromecast, Roku, Apple TV, PC, or their iOS or Android apps. Learn IT, pass your certs, get a great job with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash packet pushers for a seven-day free trial and 30% off all plans. Use promo code packet pushers at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash packet pushers and use promo code packet pushers at checkout. One more time. I'm itpro.tv slash packet pushers and use promo code packet pushers at checkout to try it free for seven days and save 30% off all plans. Audio podcast capture engine re-engaged and on with today's episode. It feels like just thinking about how the interaction between Ansible and the end device being configured to work, that this could be slow. That is, it's got to send commands, get a bunch of information back, do an evaluation, see where we're at, then maybe tweak some things so that we end up where we want. Is it potentially slow? There, that is the big knock in the community around Ansible is that it it is slow. Um, at times, it there are some plugins that you can add on that make Ansible a little bit quicker. And their speed is definitely on the mindset around network automation. But what you get out of the box is that you can also do it concurrently, right? So you're not going into just one device at the first in time, time slice one. You're going to connect out to 10 devices mm-hmm. and run what you need to on those 10 devices. And the biggest thing out of it is you get consistency. And consistency helps you not only get the speed of, hey, I, I fat-fingered this one particular uh, VLAN number. I put VLAN 100 instead of VLAN 10. Okay, now I have to do rework. But you, So you now know that you have VLAN 10 across all those devices. Can we define slow, like put seconds on it, um, you know, in a rough sense? Because, for example, if I'm writing a Python script and I'm using NetMiko, I might have to I, do something very simple. Send it a command, get a response back, like a show command. Well, there's several seconds that'll go by. Whereas I know if I'm at the CLI, I basically get that response back immediately. Right. And there's this connection set up. You are talking seconds for a single command. You're probably talking somewhere about seven, six seconds. I think if I remember right, where where you're getting the credential logging in and getting some output back versus a NetMiku or a Python, you'll probably get that back in three seconds or two seconds. So there is some speed consideration, but then try to do that across 10, 20, 100 devices. It's going to be, you'll get some speed there on a, from a network perspective. Because it does them all in parallel? It does in parallel. They call it forking or in serial. You do. It is good practice to if you're trying to go at over 50 devices at once, you start to slow down your CPU a little bit. But going at 20 devices, it will have no problem doing that all at once. The, the CPU that the Ansible process is the, running on, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, the Ansible control node, so to say, which can be your your personal MacBook. It could oh. be a Linux server in your data center. Could be Ansible Tower or AWX. So, is it is Ansible that intense that you actually think about CPU core? It seems like it would it would not be intense. It would spend most of its time waiting or something. 
I, it, yeah, that's a that's a wonderful question to ask to the Ansible, the Ansible gods or the Ansible team. Um, it's I don't have a good answer on that. So, but we but, that is the big knock in the community around automation is that Ansible is slow versus uh, working on a Python script with a Nornir or other item so but at the same rate from a configuration or an operation show command type thing i'm looking for consistency over speed and Uh, you'll get yeah yeah. you'll get more in the long run speed wise you're making the point let it let it do its thing you know uh, saving seconds or you know minutes isn't the thing it's the end result that matters you're less likely to have mistakes uh, and so on if you were doing it by hand. The, the result you get is what matters. So let it let Ansible take its time and chew up some CPU cores while it does it. It's fine. Exactly. And it's Ansible's got these modules. They're all tested by uh, us upstream. So you're not having to custom develop anything. You're sending, hey, I want to give these f- five show commands, show IP BGP, show MAC address, show VLAN, and give me all that output back in uh, one spew. And then you can use that to document, right? Either if you get into chat operations where a chat ops calls Ansible, it provides that consistent feedback to your operations team, or maybe it posts it into a ServiceNow or other remedy type solution. Hmm. Whole different way of thinking. Okay. So, Ned, um, why would Terraform, by contrast, work so well for cloud infrastructure, uh, including networking? It it sounds like what you were saying earlier, part of it's just how the calls are made, and that's more what Terraform is designed to work with, and that's what cloud is designed to work with, you know, that REST and and HTTP. But uh, I'll shut up now and let you answer the question. (laughs) That's pretty much a big part of it is the way that it's, takes advantage of the fact that most of the cloud, well, I'd say all of the cloud providers have a published API and a software development kit for things to interact with them. And so it's able to easily query for the status of resources in those clouds without actually having to touch the resource itself. And that's probably a really big distinction between the way that Ansible tends to do things, the way that Terraform tends to do things. Ansible's connecting into something and then getting the internal state of that thing. So, you know, either that's a network switch. Hey, I need to know what your current config is. I need to know what your ports are doing, that kind of stuff. So li- literally logging in, running show commands, parsing the output, coming to some right. knowledge of the state. Yeah. In the cloud, you don't do that because most of the time you're dealing with either a virtual device or it's not even a device. It's just some software running somewhere, right? So your VPC in AWS or your VNet in Azure, that's not really a physical thing that you can log into. You're just Mm -hmm. querying this API and getting information about it. And then you're matching it up to your Terraform configuration and saying, all right, does what is in AWS match what's in my configuration? No? Okay. Terraform will tell you these are the changes I'm going to make to make the two match up. Do you want to make those changes? You give it the thumbs up and it goes and makes those changes and writes that to its own internal state to know that these two things line up now. That's what Terraform is really good at. But if you take the thought of, let's say you have a virtual machine running in the cloud as well, Terraform has no knowledge of what's going on inside that virtual machine. So it can provision it for you. It can even run a startup script. But at that point, that's it. That doesn't, it has no idea what's going on inside of that virtual machine, and it doesn't want to. 
because it can query APIs. It can get statuses back. It can it can form knowledge of what's happening. But right as you say, inside the VM, no, it's like this is a thing I created in accordance with what the API allowed me to do. I did the thing. The status says thumbs up. It's good now. That's all you need to know. My job here is done. Right. The idea is it's creating immutable infrastructure. So if something needs to change, something significant about that infrastructure needs to change, it will remove the thing that exists and create a new instance of that. So that's the approach that it takes, which is very friendly to containers and that whole world. It's not so friendly to virtual machines, which don't always take kindly to being destroyed and recreated. So mm. there, there's a, there's a, a line where Terraform doesn't really cross over, and it's getting into that configuration management aspect of things. So Terraform is good for creating immutable infrastructure, and then something else might want to take over for that configuration management side of things. Yeah, you just made a really important distinction there that just clicked in my head. Um, so if, if I just take a step back and think about what the word Terraform meant to me before it was ever a, a, an IT product, it was something I read about in sci-fi where the Terraformers would head into the planet that was uninhabitable by humanity, and it would terraform the planet in such a way that we could then live there. It was literally taking Terra and forming it into something. <laughs> that There was nothing there, now there's something. So Terraform in that context is, is, as you say, building infrastructure. It's creating immutable infrastructure. Uh, and what the configuration is after that, well, we can get some configuration on it, Ned, you're saying, but, but really configuration management, managing state of this thing that's been created is, is better left to other tools. Is that how I understand you? There are definitely other tools that specialize in that. Think of Puppet, Chef, and indeed Ansible, all are have whole playbooks or whatever the thing is in Puppet, uh, recipes in Chef that are specifically around managing applications inside a virtual machine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, installing things like IIS or Nginx and deploying the application on top of it. Really, Terraform just wants to get you up to the door and then hand it off to somebody else and go, okay, this is your baton. Now you go install the application and make all those things happen. Can you give us an example of, say, AWS VPC and some networking constructs where that baton handoff would happen? Like how far Terraform would get you before you hand over? Well, the interesting thing about a VPC and uh, everything in AWS in terms of networking is that's all exposed via an API. So really, Terraform can handle that entire thing, whether you're adding security group rules to instances in your networking, whether you're configuring their virtual VPN, uh, virtual private gateway, all of that can be done through Terraform. It's when you get into maybe if you deployed a virtualized network appliance in AWS, okay, you deployed uh -huh. a virtual Cisco ASA or something, all right, Terraform will create that thing and wire it up to the proper networks. But beyond that, it's probably going to be something else that's actually doing the internal configuration of that virtual appliance. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. I was just going to say, I think you, you pair Ansible and Terraform together, and you you start to really get that full picture that Terraform is awesome at that declarative state of, Ooh, hey, this is what I want it to look like, versus Ansible, it's kind of, okay, here, here's what I want to send, to send to the cloud or send to the network device, and then hopefully that configures it. It may leave some extra uh, stuff on 
the device. So let's say you're working with the firewall rules inside of AWS and Ansible doesn't necessarily know to go ahead and remove anything where Terraform will go ahead and know, okay, here's what's in my state file and deploy that. And if there's a, a rule that's missing, as I understand it, Terraform will remove anything that shouldn't be there. As long as it's one of the managed resources, absolutely. So there's definitely a, a, a there's resources that are within Terraform's grasp, and there could be other things deployed in that same account or even in that same VPC that are not being managed by Terraform. And you would have to import those into Terraform if you wanted to manage it with Terraform. And that's a whole process that <laughs> I don't think we really want to get into, but it's, it's more of a process than I would like it to be. This is interesting that, so, okay, let, let, me, let me flip this on its head a little bit. So uh, there's a lot of networking devices that are beginning to ship with APIs, or there's a increasingly robust APIs that are available. We can hit them over RESTConf pretty commonly, let's say, or, or NetConf at least. Mm-hmm. Is that mean Terraform's going to be able to get more into physical networking device state, since that's the kind of an interface it likes? Signs point to Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. I said there is a Cisco ASA provider, and if you think about yeah. managing firewall rules, like Terraform probably is a pretty good fit for that because you can define all your firewall rules in something that you can actually parse through and understand, and then push those firewall rules out, and you can have it consistently push across multiple devices. That that sounds kind of nice. The one thing that Terraform can't do is create that device. And that's kind of what it's used to doing when you're working with cloud stuff is it's creating the resource as well as configuring it. Mm-hmm. Physical devices, it obviously can't create that resource, but there's a lot of physical devices that also create little virtual things inside them. I'm thinking of like Netscaler's SDX will create a whole bunch of VPXs inside of it. That's something Terraform could do. When Terraform can create physical devices, HashiCorp can take my money. <laughs> That'd be very powerful. Uh, I don't know okay. how that would work. Okay. <laughs> and, I don't know how that would work either. And recently on that, in that line around declarative, I think is a big piece around Ansible by its nature isn't declarative out of, out of the gate, whereas Terraform really is, it gets to that declarative state. It goes, you get really far pretty quick, but you still hit the limitations around the configuration or whatnot. But the, other thing, I so I went over the weekend and tried to make an Ansible playbook declarative around the VMware side of things, which I'm mm. uh, would from a Terraform perspective. Okay, here's my VMs. To go Terraform plan apply. It, it's there, right? And it took me several hours to be able to put things together at first to determine what do I need to make the changes and then fed that into more tasks or within the play around how do you actually deploy VMs, right? So Ansible, you can get there, but it's, it's going to take some work and effort to get to that point. With the way you're describing writing this playbook and and you said literally earlier, you're describing it as it's a set of plays that you run. It, It feels like a workflow. Would that be another way to describe it? Exactly. I, I go out to my source of truth to say, what should what kind of environment should I have? Read the environment, what what is it that I have? And then do the comparison where I actually went out to a programming language to, deter, to do the comparison between the two, to then feed in, okay, here are the changes that need to be made. Whether I have to delete a VM or create a VM, that's, there's a fair amount of work that went into that where that's something you get right out of the box. 
But within that Ansible domain-specific language that you described before, that means I've got, um, it's not merely procedural, I've got uh, intelligence and decisions and forking that I can bake into this thing. So depending on what it's faced with as it logs into the device and gets a sense of what's going on there, it might do different things on different devices. Exactly. Yeah. Let's pause today's episode to talk about open source network operating systems. We're at a point where the hyperscalers most of these NASAs were aimed at, they've deployed them at scale, they've knocked off most of the rough edges, and have made them ready for use by a broader number of organizations. The kicker for the average enterprise? Yeah, it's usually support, because nobody wants to deploy a NAS of any sort, even an open source one that you can just have without support, and that is where sponsored Dell Technologies comes in. Dell has been working with the open source Sonic NOS since the early days. They've contributed a lot of the code, they know the product well, and if you become a customer of Enterprise Sonic Distribution by Dell Technologies, they will use that deep institutional knowledge to support your Dell Sonic deployment. All right, fair enough. We got the basics out of the way. You can invest in open source Sonic from Dell, and Dell's going to back it and support your company. But why would you go this direction? And the answer is Sonic itself. So three reasons here. One, Sonic is open source, and there's a goodly ecosystem that is built around it. There's a lot of action going on around Sonic. Two, there are lots of Switch hardware options from Dell that will run Sonic, including the Dell EMC PowerSwitch Z and S series. You're going to be able to build the data center fabric that you need. Three, the modern Sonic NOS architecture. Sonic is container-based. There is a data center-ready layer two and layer three networking feature set. It's designed for centralized management via REST and GNMI interfaces, although you also get a CLI. And there's Yang support, including open config models. But again, don't forget the other big part of this. This is Dell. You're getting a global organization with depots all over the world and folks on staff that have actually contributed to Sonic code. In other words, Dell is de-risking open source for your enterprise data center. So if you want to find out more, listen to Heavy Networking episode 521, where we get into the details of the features, the upgrade process, L2, L3 capabilities, and more of Sonic. You can also visit packetpushers.net slash dellsonic. That's packetpushers.net slash dellsonic. And that's just a redirect. That's going to take you right to Dell's Sonic landing page. If you do chat with the folks at Dell Technologies about Sonic, please let them know that you heard about it on Packet Pushers, and we thank Dell Technologies for being a sponsor. And now back to today's episode. One of the hardest things to get right in any of these configuration management systems is idempotence, because you need a way to get the current state of things, test that against your desired configuration, your desired state, and then set it in such a way that it now matches. It's called get, test, set. Like pretty much every configuration management tool does this somehow. That part is really hard. I remember having to write my own stuff when I was working with PowerShell DSC and writing these get, set, and test suites was really difficult because there are all these edge cases that you would run into. So ideally, whatever tool you're using, whether it's Ansible, Terraform, or something else, has already done all that hard work for you. So you can really just say, here's what I want, go check and make it so. I think the interesting part here is that um, for networking people and for a lot of infrastructure components, they're literally not idempotent. They're mm -hmm. inherently not, you know, they're not inherently not set this and the device will go to that state. 
right? Exactly. If you have to actually, if you want to create a firewall rule, you have to go into a context. You have to open the configuration mode. You have to shift yourself into the access control list menu. You have to select the name access control list. Then you have to choose where you want it. None of those actions are inherently idempotent. That is stateless. They're fundamentally stateful and done in context. And that's where I think Ansible does the work for you because you can use the playbooks to emulate idempotence in a way. Is that correct, Josh? Exactly. It, and it all depends on the modules that you're working with. So some there are some vendors that have helped out or that has been a focus on those particular pieces. And you've got great modules, whereas there's other modules that are pretty bare to the bones. You've got a command and you've got config. That's all you've got. And hopefully those other vendors are starting to come out and get into having a little more capability to their modules. Well, okay, so this is actually uh, something that's interesting about how modules get written. So, Ned, I think you said earlier HashiCorp is responsible for writing most of the Terraform providers, plugins. Is that is that right? Or is it are they community-driven as well? It's a mix. So, for instance, the AWS and Azure ones, it has both members of Terraform, HashiCorp working on them as well as members from AWS and Azure working on them and community members. So it's a whole kind of hodgepodge of people. Terraform has the final, or HashiCorp has the final say on what goes into that plugin. And that makes it a verified official plugin of Terraform. And then there's ones that are completely developed outside of HashiCorp. And those are verified, but not official. And then there's community ones that have not been verified by HashiCorp. So you can use them, but it's sort of, you know, caveat emptor. Right. Josh, how's the Ansible ecosystem work for that? And Ansible, the ecosystem is changing as well on top of this. So right now in uh, 2.9 version of Ansible, which is the current available version in 2020, everything is mostly driven by the Ansible organization that they get included. And you can include roles or collections as add-ons. So the shift that's happening is Ansible has gotten so big and, hey, I need to get this quick fix into, hey, there's a small bug in this iOS com config command that Ansible just can't release fast enough in the community. So they are moving to slim Ansible itself down to be just bare bones. And then you have to add on the community plugins. Now, mm -hmm. some of these community plugins for Cisco, example, is still being supported by Ansible and Red Hat. And that's, they're also going to have, when you pay for support, they're going to have validated and supported modules that are taken care of by the Ansible team. But at the same rate, now we're going to start to see much more community-driven modules come in to the picture, and they can release on their own, their own pace, their own schedule. If a customer needs a fix on something by tomorrow, they can actually be done hmm. without having to hmm. modify the source code. And so I think we're going to see some exciting capabilities in Ansible coming on. But from us mentioning the support side of things, just, uh, okay, picking on Cisco again a little bit, but you have Cisco iOS that is supported by Ansible, but the Meraki modules are supported by the community as a wholly out of the community, nothing out of the Ansible Red Hat team. Mm. So Terraform went through a similar evolution a uh, couple of years ago when it went from version.9 to version.10, they stripped all of those plugins and providers out of the main executable and 
moved them to their own repositories on GitHub, which meant that the main executable for Terraform is just responsible for running Terraform functions, running the commands at the CLI, and then integrating with all these different plugins. So you could have the plugins evolve at their own pace and be supported by different people, whereas the Terraform executable could evolve separately from that. And as long as it keeps its contract with those plugins, you know, we're, we're all set and good to go. I think that was a huge, it was a really good choice for them. It was a little bit painful at the time, but since they have done that, it's allowed a quicker evolution of both sides. And it sounds like Ansible's chosen to do something very similar. Exactly. That's what I'm hearing as well. And I think the net story of that at that point is it it means faster evolution for the for us to use these tools and be able to contribute to these tools, right? So if we're missing a feature, you know, these are all open source or have some openness to them that mm-hmm. you can either ask the community for help or have someone within your own organization dive in and help to contribute back and get get you what you need. One area that we haven't talked about is the increasing um, arrival of SDN tools that do things for us. So you might want to go and talk to somebody like Appstra to do your data center orchestration or Alkira for your multi-cloud. You might want to get some mist for your campus, you know, some Juniper mist, Contrail mist, whatever it's called this week for your campus. You might, you know, uh, your security infrastructure might be separated and they all have SDN controllers. Are we seeing Terraform and Ansible evolve to talk not just to devices? Because in uh, my view is, is that eventually we're going to have SDN controllers and really what we need is for tools like Terraform and Ansible to talk to SDN tools, software tools, APIs that do a thing for us, not actually hand carve, artisanally hand carve this Ansible Terraform scripts. I think that's just... I haven't said anything here, but I believe the whole Terraform Ansible thing is a temporary. It's got a couple of years to run and we're done. And it'll be SDN tools everywhere with a bit of Terraform and Ansible perhaps gluing it together. Yeah, I'll I'll jump in on the Ansible side of that. And I think the what you've ended with about gluing it together, I think is is the sweet spot there of that you can set up your your play with Ansible, you set up your tasks and plays to execute against either Mist or against Meraki APIs, and they support that capability to go out. And then on top of that, the biggest thing about Ansible is that it's written in Python and you extend it with Python. So if one, if there's an SDK, that makes it real easy. But everything, all these tools that you mentioned and that really should have a relatively modern um, REST API, if they're truly worth adopting, they will have a REST API that you can interact with. And from an Ansible perspective, that's easy and set to be done. And uh, I would assume very similar, and I'll let Ned talk on the Terraform. Yeah, I mean, Terraform, since it already speaks APIs pretty fluently, integrating with SDN controllers or other networking suites like that is not going to be a big problem. There's already an Aviatrix uh, officially supported Terraform provider. So that's already out there. In terms of, oh man, I don't want to just start from scratch every time. Terraform, just like Ansible, has this concept of modules, which is similar to playbooks, and they're published on a registry. So you're not really starting from scratch when you want to work with a new resource or a new collection of resources. 
you can grab one of these modules. And a lot of the time, it has same defaults already built into the module that you can roll with, or you can override them if you want. So uh, one thing that I noticed um, is a lot of the value that people are getting out of Terraform and Ansible is simply that it allows you to learn a single tool really well to manage multiple different device types and environments. It's kind of like learning Python, for, for example. Now that I've learned Terraform, I can manage AWS, Azure, Google, Oracle Cloud, if I really want to punish myself. like I've got lots of options here. And yes, all of them are different in how they implement things, but at least I have a common tool I can use across all of them instead of learning CloudFormation and then ARM templates and then Google, I forget what they use. Like, So it simplifies for me. And I think Ansible does the same thing that you can use it across network vendors. And while yes, SDN might controllers might take over a portion of your network, it's not your entire network. And also, I mean, maybe the dream is you'll be a single vendor with a single management interface, but that doesn't seem to be the reality anywhere I've ever actually worked. So you're going to have a bunch of disparate vendors in your networking environment that you need to manage. And hey, here's a tool that can manage all of those. And that's a transferable skill for you when you move from one job to another. Well, that, that's actually a huge question to, to, to wrap up this conversation on. It feels like in this conversation, we've said both tools, Terraform because APIs are getting better and Ansible because you know, providers are getting better. They're slowly converging on each other. Is it possible just to pick a tool or as network engineers, is it best to know both Terraform and Ansible? So with Ansible, uh, Ansible is able to get you the majority of the way there. It may, may take some time. And you can also interact. One of the things that I'm seeing is that you can actually do Terraform from Ansible. So you can set up your entire infrastructure in the cloud infrastructure and do everything in Terraform, but then have Ansible execute that. So then as you stitch together your campus, your maybe your remote workers and your data center, and then tie that in with cloud, you can put that in a cohesive system of Ansible and work through and when you look at it and extend it to the enterprise, you, you start to bring the network team in with the rest of the teams to say, all right, here's a tool that we all can use, speak the same language and look at and be able to provide a cohesive solution for your for the enterprise. Well, and, and Josh, in the notes here, you pasted this matrix of different Ansible modules, a lot of which there's a, a rich set of cloud modules for Ansible. So it's not like you can't use Ansible for cloudy stuff. There's there's a, a lot of things in the ecosystem that you can do. Exactly. There's When you look at the ecosystem, you have AWS, Azure, Oracle Cloud, we all mentioned Google, but it also have Rackspace modules, DigitalOcean modules. But the trick here is... These, while they'll be item potent, may not be fully declarative. So there may, in the VM world or VMware world, needed to look, took several hours of additional development, whereas Terraform would really nail that down. And maybe you start to migrate, put everything in Terraform to start with, and then shift over to Ansible or just keep it with Terraform for what it does well, and then have Ansible do what it does well on top of that. Okay, so Josh is coming down on the side of 
uh, no, you still need two two tools in 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 some way or shape or form. It's just kind of a matter of where you choose to draw the line, and where that line gets drawn is increasingly blurry. Uh, Ned, is that sort of your take? I think if you wanted to choose one tool to do everything, here it comes. It would probably be Ansible. I mean, if I'm being a hundred percent honest, it's a tool that is somewhat more flexible in what it's capable of doing, and it was designed that way. Mm-hmm. Terraform is laser-focused on building infrastructure in for uh, in, in a mutable way. That's what it's for. That's what it does. And they've deliberately kept the tool to do just that task. Mm-hmm. HashiCorp has other tools that it could hand off to in its own internal portfolio, but also they acknowledge that what probably makes sense is use Terraform to lace up and down and then use something else for config management, whether that's going to be their own product Nomad or it's going to be Ansible or whatever thing du jour you like at your organization. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting, Ethan, because um, I think eventually for most people, the question of whether they'll run Ansible, which has a long pedigree, like Ansible's got about a ten years of history behind it now. I think Josh, been sort of. Whereas yeah, my Terraform's mind goes to eight years, but eight, it's, yeah, so, okay. it's it's quite lengthy. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Terraform's relatively new, three to four years, sort of. I mean, it's only reached, uh, if I remember rightly, Terraform's point one three version point one three. Correct. So this week, so give you a sense of the maturity of these products in terms of. That's not a reflection on. And neither of these products have ever had the problem of traditional vendors where, um, you know, the first versions of the product don't actually work. So they are actually products that work to a larger or less degree. But my general sense of these tools, Ethan, is, um, you know, one is more of, Ansible is more of an adjustable spanner. It started out to be a general purpose tool that became much more focused on networking because there was a gap that was not being addressed by others. And it filled that gap to some extent. So the reason that Ansible is a better tool for more use cases is because it's a more general purpose tool. However, having an eight-pound sledgehammer is not necessarily the right tool for cracking open a you know a cashew nut. What you might want is the right tool for the job, right? And uh, if you're and in my way of thinking, what I actually want is a nut machine that'll just crack them all for me, or maybe what I really want. Is a bag of nuts that I can buy from the supermarket. Well, I don't actually and, want to crack. Going them back all. to your earlier point, Greg, I think you think the nut machine is going to come from the vendors and be a specialized SDN tool designed for platform, uh, something more like that. So I think it runs. I think the SDN platforms run two spec run a spectrum from the right hand side, which is which Cisco seems to be the leading proponent of, which is you buy our SDN controller, you buy our custom hardware, we use our custom protocols, and Here's where the levers are. And yes, we've got an API, but we don't really support it. We don't really want you using it. And that's one vision of the future of SDN. Uh, And that platform, however, that platform such as Cisco's SD Access does everything, does code updates, it does configuration updates, it does winds in third-party tools, brings in the SecureX, eight different security products start to bind into that one platform. You know, so they become Uber platforms, starts to sort of harken back to the days of network management software from the turn of the century. You know, in 2001, we were running HP OpenView, for example, an attempt in that direction. And on the other end of the spectrum, we've got point solutions uh, that do different things. So if you think about companies like Blueware, for example, who've got an engine 
that does everything that Ansible and Terraform does for you, but actually add a bunch more intelligence to it. So instead of you having to handcraft certain things, it just does them for you. The engine is tuned to be, um, you know, intelligence. It's got algorithms in it as well as the templates, as yeah, well as the run books being- or parts of the workflow that you can take for granted that are going to work the way you expect them to and the way you need them to without you having to custom build that logic and intelligence into it. Yeah. And so Glueware still needs you to do a lot of configuration work. And then over here is Terraform and Ansible, which is like a box of Lego bricks that you can Mm -hmm. sort of assemble. And the only challenge there is the question is, is a box of Lego bricks concept maybe doing it a disservice because there are certainly commercial products and people operating hugely profitable commercial businesses. Um, so it's not necessarily saying that Lego blocks are cheap and plasticky, but at the other end of the spectrum, you know, across that spectrum of handcrafted to custom, you know, to a vertically integrated, there's a, a spectrum of choices that customers have to make, people need to make. And I'm not sure that it's at all clear that people are understanding there's middle ground in here. So you've got your Alkiras, you've got your Gluewares, you've got your Abstras, you've got, um, all the SD-WAN controllers from the different vendors here. You've got NSX, which is an SDN configuration tool in its own right. And, uh, you know, there are, yeah, it's 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 a confusing market, I suspect, I think. Yeah, it, it is. And I don't think there's going to be any easy answers in the in the near term. Um, you, know, I, you know, you had said, Greg, you know, two years was kind of roughly your, your timeline. I, I think all these tools are going to have longer legs than that. I feel... Um, single vendor solutions, which is what you really need to to be able to double down on, like what Cisco's doing lately with uh, DNA Center and SD Access and all the rest. You got to be all in on the Cisco stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not everybody's going to be all in on that stuff. A lot of people are still going to want to be multi vendor and and want the flexibility to be able to do what they need to do. And so, I my gut is Ansible and Terraform and so on will have longer legs than that. And this methodology mm-hmm. of provisioning our networks and doing configuration management via these tools is uh, will be around a long time. Part of that is a discussion we've had many times before. Networks are snowflakes and you need some tools with flexibility that can accommodate your snowflakes. Well, you can build whatever you need with these kind of tools, going back to your Lego brick analysis. And I think the gap here is not that your network infrastructure is a snowflake. That's Don't make that mistake. Everybody uses the same tools and the same, right? Keep in mind here, Ansible and Terraform both have thousands of customers. So if your network was a snowflake, you wouldn't be able to use the same tools to do these things, right? It's it's not my point. Everybody's configuring them in a unique way, perhaps using all the same bits and pieces because of whatever the business needs are. Everybody drives their kids to school, but they go to a different school. Therefore, your use for your car is a a snowflake is is the sort of lot is my point. Subtly different, yeah. You're you're building something that the end result is is subtly different, and so you need some flexibility there with your tooling to accommodate that Mm. since we're not all building out standardized modules. Yeah, Uh, I think that – and I think the other side of this is, too, you're also talking about Ansible and Terraform are incredibly uh, computer literate. You nearly need to be a developer – or have some solid programming skills and an understanding of the the pipeline. So you'll need to be talking about Git, some sort of versioning system like GitHub. You're going to need to understand continuous integration and deployment. You're going to need to know testing to make them work. And eventually, my general... Eventually. You, I think you can grow into all that stuff. But yes, for the full can. implementation, exactly. But most infrastructure professionals are not developers. Most infrastructure professionals are operators, um, and 
the, I'm questioning, does the mass of that market, does most people in enterprise IT and service providers actually want to be handcrafting their Ansible and Terraform out of a piece of wood and a sharp knife? You know, and what artisanally. Did, what if you think of it more of like flat pack furniture? So I, I want a table, but I, I want to build it myself to a certain degree. I'll get something flat pack. It's a little cheaper than the more expensive pre-assembled table, hmm. but it's not me carving it whole out of wood. Maybe that's, I don't know if that's a better analogy. I don't, yeah. I, I think of it as a range. Like if I'm driving business value by creating my own custom environment because I offer a software service to somebody else and having control over that environment is important to me and makes some kind of business sense, then I might want to use Terraform or Ansible to craft that environment. If I do something else, like I sell widgets and the software I use can just be out of the box as a service, then I'm not going to craft any of that stuff. I'm just going to go with SaaS from whatever providers have the software I need and not try to do it myself. So it's really, I think it depends on the the needs of your company, whether this is an important tool to you or something you're mm. never going to touch. Yeah. And that's the unique part, the needs of your company mm. and the, the capability of the people in your organization. And that includes executives, managers, <laughs> and engineers, <laughs> and how much profits the company is making. A profitable company will tend to spend more on IT than a company that's barely profitable. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, that's the unique, there's not don't make the mistake of assuming that your network is unique or that your technology is unique or that you are unique. You're not. You as, an, as a worker are easily replaced with anybody else. Your job can be replaced with another job, right? You could be outsourced. You could be, right? right. The uniqueness would, is not, yeah. I, we said something about how the infrastructure operator is, oh, infrastructure admin or engineer is more of an operator than they are like a developer. That's generally true, true, but I would be concerned if I was that person today because if you don't have that specialization and everything's moving to SaaS, then your job gets simpler and your pay probably goes down or you get made redundant. If you go down the other path and sharpen your skills up on something like Terraform and Ansible and increase your value, then now you can get a higher paying job, maybe at the same place, maybe somewhere else. And that that middle, that operator the traditional operator that might be going away basically so mm. I'd, i that would be my concern uh, yeah for and for me i you know i've gotten into the automation space about five years ago where i started to get into python and ansible and before i've got a 20-year career in networking so 15 first 15 years were working in large enterprise traditional you know a little bit of artisanalness try to get as cookie cutter as possible as well but the as i left that position moved to another position and came into this i got the privilege of looking okay do I look at Python? Do I look at Ansible? Or can I look at something else in the market to pay money? Well, the pay money side of things at that particular position was out of the, out of the question. We're not going to do that. But then taking a look at Python and Ansible, I look at Ansible and I can say, I can hand this off to an engineer that is not a programmer. And they can kind of understand what's going on because they name the way they name their modules, and then here's the commands. It gives them a nice, easy, uh, cozy place to be. Of yep, okay, that looks familiar. I could I can envision myself going into the CLI or actually taking these steps and doing those steps. 
Well, it's also interesting that a lot of tech jobs are defined by what specific skills you have with a product, you know, what you know hands-on. I know this product, I can do these specific things, as opposed to not having that. If you can put those things on your resume, sometimes those really add up to a, a position and a, and a rate of pay. Um, and and the, again, both of these feel like the things you can hang your hat on, whereas some of the other ones in the market have uh, somewhat lost. Terraform and Ansible, certainly for the network automation space, are part of, not all of it, but part of the equation. If you know those, that's going to help you with uh, forward-looking organizations that are automating their infrastructure. Well, guys, we're coming up on an hour, so I think we, uh, we're going to wrap here. Um, Ned, how can people find you on the internet? Uh, Twitter. Ned1313 is the easiest way to find me. I have a website, nedinthecloud.com. So check those two out and feel free to reach out. My DMs are open. And remember that uh, Ned has a presentation on the Packet Pushers YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Packet Pushers Network. And you can find him talking about cloud networking with Terraform there. Josh, how about you? Definitely. I'm on Twitter at VanderAJ. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn a little bit there as well. And then on a couple different Slacks, I'm actually Jay Vanderay and the Packet Pusher Slack and also the Network to Code Slack, uh, slack.networktocode.com. And occasionally you'll find me blogging probably about every two or three months, maybe a little more in the winter months at josh-v.com. And don't forget that Josh has a course on Ansible aimed at network engineers. That's at ignition.packetpushers.net. That's a membership site, 99 bucks a year. You get that course and everything else that we've got up on Ignition. Uh, I'm Ethan Banks at EC Banks. Greg, of course, you know at Ethereal Mind. And uh, you can find this show and all of our fine free technical podcasts and our community blog, etc. Packetpushers.net. That's everything. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. We're on LinkedIn. Uh, take a minute and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We would appreciate that. And then last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.